This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. Be strong. Mm -hmm. It's a command. It's also the name of this message. So, be strong. A study in that which empowers the church to act. Now, remember the book that we've been going through, Acts. It's the Acts of the Apostles. It's what they did. But it's very important to recognize that what they did was not something they did in their own strength. It is what the Holy Spirit did in and through them. So technically, you could say it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit in and through the Apostles. And that would be far more accurate of a statement. However, the way God says things in Scripture, he oftentimes assumes things into the, or bakes them into the idea. So if we say the Acts of the Apostles, we have to take a step back as the church to say, how did they do that? How did Paul live that way? Because that is superhuman. Was it something that Paul just one day woke up and said, you know what, I'm going to live as a good man on planet Earth. I'm going to speak on behalf of this one known as God, and I am going to testify of him unto the nations. Is that what happened? The Holy Spirit engaged this man and changed him. The Holy Spirit is the one that gave Paul a vision and a burden and a commission to go. And the Holy Spirit is the one that actually empowered him to go. When you hear a commission like, be strong, what do you have a tendency to do? All right. All right, I'm going to be strong. And we have a tendency, the classic American term is pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You're going to dig in your pocket and say, okay, what can I do to muster up some strength? You look inside here and you growl. You can do it, Ludi. You can do it. And you try and talk yourself into it. You Tony Robbins your way through life. You can do it, Eric. You're something special. You're important, Eric. And I try and build up my self-esteem. I try and make myself feel bigger than I actually am. If I can somehow inflate my perspective of myself, then when I hit that challenge, I will not crumble under it. However, every challenge exposes one thing. You can't overcome it. One of the things that we learn in life, whether it's the easy way or the hard way, is that we are not fit to do the work of God on this earth in and of ourselves. I can't do that, God. That's the conclusion that every single one of us will come to. Be pure as he is pure. It's a command, by the way. Be perfect as he is perfect. Be righteous. If you're not righteous, you can have no part of his presence. Ah, Dig in your own pockets and try and whip this stuff up. You can't. So many people today have come to a conclusion that it is simply not possible to live the Christian life. And so as a result, they live their own carnal life, their own flesh-infused life, the one that says, well, whatever I feel like I'm going to do. Meanwhile, they have these high poetic statements in the Bible that they esteem. They go, oh, that's good scripture, but it's not real. 
And so we've allowed a certain discrepancy into the church of Jesus Christ where we esteem the scriptures, but we no longer expect to live out the scriptures. I understand where it comes from. However, I would like to puncture it today and let such a balloon notion deflate. And let's get back to real Christianity that changes the world. There's only one sort of Christianity I'm interested in. And that's the kind that showcases the glory of Jesus Christ. And a defeated existence on planet Earth under the thumb of sin does not reveal the glory of Jesus Christ. Be strong. So whatever happened to strong in Christianity? We're almost not even allowed to use the term today. Terms like triumph, victory. People snicker and go, oh, they're one of those kind of Christians. Ones that actually still think that those things are possible. Mm Mm-hmm. That's me. I'm one of those kinds of Christians. You can snicker if you want. However, I am utterly convinced, not just theologically, because I see it in Scripture, but experientially. See, I'm a hard guy to deal with on this one because I have yielded my life to Jesus Christ and actually seen in practical living the living God indwell me and change my behavior. Uh Uh-huh. So as a result, I'm a miserable person to run into on this one. You can snicker all you want, but hey, I have scripture to back me up, and I have life. Hey, that's why I speak so loud. Sorry, I'll try and keep it down. The ancient commission for strength. You see, strength is lost in Christianity, and a lot of people actually feel embarrassed to even bring it up. But speaking about defeat and the fact that God loves us even when we fail, that tends to be the key modus operandi of the church. And by the way, I'm a big fan of recognizing that God loves us even in our weakness. I'm all for it. I'm not wanting to just say, hey, hey, did you live perfect? You had the grace to live perfect. What? You failed? Out. That's not the way the kingdom of heaven works. However, we've lost the vision for the fact that God has given us the equipment to actually live a life that reveals heaven. And so therefore, many of us have received this equipment, but we aren't exercising the equipment. It's like having that sword down at your ankle and someone saying, so do you have the sword? You're like, yeah, I do, true. But then the enemy comes up and bops you in the nose every day and and God says, do you have the sword? True, amen. How about you exercise, pick up that sword and swing it? You see, the sword only has ability to alter your life and the world in which you live when you use it. So many of you know about it, but you need to know how to employ it. So I'm just going to walk through the Old Testament real quick and some of our heroes and recognize that in the passing of a torch from generation to generation, there is this historic understanding of how one ought to live in this body on this earth. And one of the key phrases for passing along that torch is the term, be strong. Now, if you've ever heard me share the ancient war cry, you know that in the Old Testament, it starts out with Moses, and he gives the, what the Hebrew nation throughout history, even to this day, the Israeli military still has it as their war cry, and that's, rock hasak! And it comes from two Hebrew words, hasak and amatz. The word for hasak is the key word that we're going to find here for strong. Be strong. So I'm trimming out the and of good courage part of this, but that's because it's a very common thing throughout the entirety of Scripture is this phrase, be strong. So Moses, 
Moses called unto Joshua and said unto him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong, Joshua. And Joshua said unto them, Be strong, David. And David said to Solomon, his son, Be strong and do it. Be strong. Isn't this good stuff? Hezekiah, a great king, by the way, he said to his people, Be strong for all the multitude that is with him, Sennacherib, king of Assyria. There be more with us than with him. Now, uh, Hezekiah, there's 185,000 Assyrians outside the gates of Jerusalem. And we have this little piddly amount of soldiers inside the walls. And you're, you're saying, be strong, for there is more with us than with him? Uh, let's see. Let's do our math on this. One, two, three. There's 185,000 Assyrians. And the Assyrians had ruled the known world for 100 straight years. And no one had ever been able to defeat them. And Hezekiah has the audacity to say, be strong, people, for there is more with us than are with them. What? <laughs> with him, with Sennacherib, is the arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. You see, we could count everyone in this room and measure that against 185,000, and your strength would fail you. It's a bad time to say, be strong, if you're strong in our strength in this room. But if you know who's in this room with us, that one known as God counts as tens of billions. Hey, hey, we're doing well mathematically then, because we have God fighting for us. So Paul the Apostle, now we transfer into the New Covenant, into the New Testament, and Paul is beginning to enunciate this work of Jesus Christ on the cross and how it changes, how it takes everything from the old and converts it into life in the new covenant. So Paul is articulating this, and you'll see in 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Paul tells the church at Corinth, be strong. In Ephesians 6, 10, Paul tells the church at Ephesus, be strong. 2 Timothy 2, 1, Paul tells Timothy, be strong. See, a, see it's like a theme. All throughout, this is how a parent imparts to their predecessor, to the one who's coming after them, to the, the one who needs to follow in their footsteps. Be strong. Strength and power throughout the Bible. So this idea of strength all throughout the Bible has many different forms, many different shades. It's wrapped in the concepts of an army or a host of warriors, for that is the strength, wealth, and power of a kingdom. So if we were going to say, okay, what's the strength of Israel? The strength of Israel would be in its army. That would be the idea of the strength and power of Israel. So how, how much of an army does Israel have? That will tell me how strong of a nation it is. You see, if a nation only has like 10 warriors and the Assyrians have 185,000, who's stronger? You see, the idea of strength and power in the Old Testament was measured by the strength of the army. And so as a result, what you're going to see is the word that is going to be used. I'm going to introduce you to a Greek word. And this Greek word becomes very, very important in us understanding what God is actually saying to the early church in the book of Acts when he says, I want you to wait for something, guys. I'm going to give you something. It's the strength of my kingdom. Well, what is that strength? In the Old Testament, when we look at strength and power, it's wrapped in the concept of an army, a host of warriors, for that is the strength, wealth, and power of a kingdom. A kingdom is only as strong, only as powerful, only as rich as it is in its army. 
Its army defines its strength. Well, that's going to be very important for you to understand what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. So I'm going to call it the army of the Lord. So the kingdom of heaven has come. Now, when you think of the army of the Lord, I mean, some of you are thinking of angels and things, and I'm not discrediting that. I'm not discounting that. I just want you to know that God, even without one angel, could devastate every army that exists. He doesn't need a fighting force. He doesn't need us. He has chosen to use vehicles. However, to really understand how God works and his kingdom works, he has an army. Now, to even get more specific, it's an army of one. In the, in the best way of describing it, it's God himself. God does the fighting. It's the strength of his right arm is how it says it oftentimes in Scripture. Now, the word I want to introduce you to looks a little like dynamite, doesn't it? This is a Greek word, and it's dunamis. Now, many of you, if you've heard you know, different sermons here, you've heard this word before, and so I'm going to spend a lot of time going through the Bible on this exact term because this becomes very, very important in understanding what the book of Acts is about. How did the apostles do the acts that they did? And how do we, as the church of Jesus Christ, do any acts? You want the book of Acts? Well, you better get this. You need dunamis. Dunamis is, in a sense, an army or the strength of an army. You need something more than your own strength to live this Christian life. You ever felt that? Some of us haven't actually ever been told, just straight up, you know, I know that you're being called to be pure in your thought life and you're supposed to do this all right, but you can't do it. And someone's like, what? I can do it if I want it. It's just willpower. It is not willpower. To overcome the powers of darkness and the enslavement of sin in your life is not something that anyone in this room can actually muster up the strength to do in and of themselves. I know that sounds like a defeated mentality, doesn't it? And yet what I would say is God's commission to be pure. God's commission to take every thought captive to the will of Christ Jesus. To bring this body and its, its passions into subjection is very possible. But not because of your willpower. Not because of your learning and education. Not because you went to seminary. It's because of what he did on that cross. And how you appropriate that is very, very important. So, dunamis. Dunamis. Now, if you know that it's a Greek word, you're going to say, how in the world does this show up in the Old Testament? That'd be a very good question. It doesn't. And yet, up there it says, in Old Testament, 383 uses. Well, what in the world is Eric doing? Before Jesus came, there was a project that was worked on called the Septuagint. And 70 Jewish rabbis were commissioned to take the ancient Hebrew text and translate it into what we know as Koine Greek. Koine Greek is the language in which the New Testament was written. So, the Holy Spirit carried along the apostles to write the text of the New Testament in Koine Greek, not Hebrew. Isn't that an interesting thought? And so, when you're studying the New Testament... One of the questions you oftentimes will have is, I wish I had the Old Testament in Greek so I could figure out how this word has always been used. And when the New Testament writers were speaking, 
what they would have been referring to. Do you know that when the New Testament writers are quoting Scripture in the Old Testament, that a good percentage, I don't know, it might be upwards of like 80% of all the references from the Old Testament come from the Septuagint, which means God is going out of his way to endorse the translation of the Bible into Koine Greek, even the Old Testament. So fascinating thought. It's not what I'm teaching on today. But what you can do is you could actually look at the Old Testament and say, okay, God, dunamis is a huge deal in the New Testament. This is like what Jesus says you need. Go to Jerusalem and wait until you get this. And then when you get this, go into all the world. Without this, you can't do the job, guys. So it's rather important. So then if you ask the Old Testament the question, how is this word used by the Jewish rabbis, where, how would they have translated it? It translates as an army. Almost exclusively, 383 uses, which is a lot, by the way. Almost exclusively, it's translated as an army. It's the strength of the nation. It's a mighty host of soldiers. It's the power of a nation, the strength of a kingdom. And Jesus comes and he says, hey guys, you need the strength of the kingdom. You need the army inside of you. If you don't have the army, you can't do this. You're wondering why you've been failing in all your battles? Well, without the army to fight it, it, it's no wonder. You see, God has made a way for that army to literally march inside of you, rank and file. Doesn't that sound cool? At the beck and call of the commander, Jesus Christ. And what he asks of it, it will do. And this life can suddenly begin to perform that which beforehand it simply could only dream about. So now let's look at the New Testament. When we translate the word dunamis, if you were to look in a concordance and look at the word dunamis, this is actually what it's going to be. It's going to be the power to do it. It's going to be the strength to perform it. The ability to accomplish it. And you could say, what's it? What's it? You know what it is. It's the life. It's the commission of Jesus Christ. It's it's the reason we're created. What are we here on earth for? We're here for it. What's it? You see, God has a passion, a yearning, a desire to reveal himself to us. That the world may know who he is. And yet when you are awakened, then he gives you that commission to take that light and to shine it in the world. To live in such a way that when people see you, they see him. That's it. That's what we're here for, to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ, that this world may see that light, that beauty, that power, that love, that majesty that is hidden in heaven in the invisible realms, but now made visible in and through our lives, those that believe. So that's what dunamis is. You want to be able to do it? Well, you need something. You know what you need? You need the dynamite. You need the dunamis. A quick study of David and dunamis. First, an introduction to the Lord of hosts. You know, when you see the word hosts, I don't know if you saw it in my definition of dunamis. In the Old Testament, the word hosts is most oftentimes translated as dunamis. So he's the Lord of dunamis. Isn't that interesting? All th- that, that's what Jehovah's called, one of his names. Oftentimes, we'll translate it as the Lord of battles or the Lord of armies. But that's what it is. He's the Lord of dunamis. 
He's the Lord of that power and strength. So I want to first introduce you to that. And basically what Lord is translated as, because we know the term, but it's a euphemism, which means a replacement term so that you don't misuse the name, the unspeakable, ineffable name of God, which was, is called the Tetragrammaton, the four letters, Yahweh, Yahweh, Jehovah, Yehovah, however you pronounce it. You know, even to this day, the Jews don't know how to pronounce uh, that name because it wasn't spoken for thousands of years. All they have is, is they know the, the words, but no one ever spoke it. Lest they take the name of the Lord their God in vain, they wouldn't even speak it with their mouth. It's the ineffable name, and that's what is translated here as Lord. So when you see that, that all caps, that's Jehovah. That's the unspeakable name of God, his proper name that he revealed to Moses at the burning bush. And what it means is quite profound. I am is what it means, but that doesn't make any sense to any of us. It's like, you are what? I am that I am, which doesn't help us very much, does it? He is that he is. What are you that you are? That means I've always been who I am. I am who I am, and I'll always be exactly who I am. I do not change. I am the Lord. I am Jehovah. I am Yahweh. Unchanging. Always the same. So what is he always the same in? Well, you have, there's a lot of things get, get, get attached to that name. And when it's attached to his eternality, his unchanging nature, you can bank on it. It'll never change. It's always been that way. It is that way. And it always will be that way. And he is the army. Isn't that an amazing thought? He is the war machine. He is the power to victory. He always has been. We're looking, digging in drawers, digging in our own pockets, trying to muster up the strength. And he says, hey guys, I am the Lord of hosts. I am the dunamis. I am the secret to getting that done. You might want to talk to me about this because uh, that's the whole secret to life. It's found in him, the Lord of hosts. So David and the champion from Gath. So for those of you that know the story of David, I tend to bring up David a lot. But David shows an amazing picture of this idea of dunamis. So when the Philistines said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. He's mocking David. Then David said to the Philistine, the big giant known as Goliath, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. Listen to this. You come to me with your dunamis. You come to me in the power of your nation. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I come to you in an altogether different form of dunamis. I'm coming to you with the armies of heaven backing me up. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have <clears throat> defied. Whoopsie. <laughs> this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. This, and this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines, the birds of the air, and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Then all this assembly shall know the Lord does not save with sword and spear. Wait a minute. You don't save with earthly dunamis, God? You don't save with the mechanisms of the world, what's in our pockets? I mean, look at this guy. Can't you save the Philistines with the champion from Gath? 
God doesn't save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And so what you see in this picture is a, is a foreshadow of the gospel. It is not something, the Goliath of sin stands before every single one of us and boasts. And many of us come with our sword and spear, and we try and tackle him and take him down, and instead we're pinned to the ground and mocked publicly. And we have shame that rules in our life. And Jesus from the very beginning says, hey, 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 it's not going to be with your sword and spear. It's not going to be with your willpower, your determination, and your theological learning. It's going to be by the power of the Holy Spirit, dunamis, that this will be accomplished. So David and his kingdom, we already see, you know, we see the growth of David. We see him tending to his sheep, and he slays the lion, he slays the bear. Then he actually takes down Goliath in a public setting. Wow. He is then actually, around 10 to 11 years later, he's, he's crowned king in, in Judah, and then ultimately the kingdom, the United Kingdoms of Israel. And he builds his kingdom in a very unique way. The word of the Lord is tried, he says. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him, for who is God save the Lord? And who is a rock save our God? God is my dunamis. This is in the Septuagint. And so what you see in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, is this is where the word is used. He is my strength and power, is what it says in our Bibles. In the Greek, it actually says, he is my dunamis. It says, God is my dunamis, and he makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like hinds feet and sets me upon my high places. He teaches my hands to war so that a bow of steel is broken by my arms. Thou hast also given me the shield of thy salvation and thy gentleness has made me great. Thou hast enlarged my steps under me so that my feet did not slip. I have pursued my enemies and have destroyed them. Is this a statement of your spiritual life, by the way, against that which hounds you? That you are overcoming, that there is a triumph, that there is a strength to overcome. What was David's strength? It was God that was his strength. God was his dunamis. God was his army. And it turned not until I had consumed them, consumed them and wounded them, that they could not arise. Yea, they are fallen under my feet. For thou hast girded me with dunamis to battle. Them that rose against me hast thou subdued under me. Now this would be a picture of the new covenant life in the Old Testament. This is also Psalm 18, for those of you that are familiar. You're like, isn't that Psalm 18? It is. It's a quote out of David's actual life that is also converted into a psalm, which is, by the way, possibly my favorite psalm, which is a hard, it's an argument, you know, of how you, how you ever pick a favorite psalm. But this is good stuff. What was David girded with? What was he clothed with is the concept. He was clothed with God's power, God's strength, God's army. God himself became the strength of David's life. And that's how he accomplished what he accomplished. So here we have a sad turn of events in David's life. And, you know, the background score would need to change into a minor key. And we have turning from the divine dunamis to the earthly dunamis. You see, David has made great choices. I mean, every single one of us is looking at David going, I want to be like David. And then David sort of surprises all of us with this uh, decision that he makes. It's like, David, what were you thinking? Welcome to our life. 
In other words, though we have been given the divine dunamis, we still have a tendency and a propensity to return to the strength of spear and sword and shield. We have a tendency to think natural instead of supernatural in the way we live out our Christianity. So let's listen to this. 2 Samuel 24. So the king said, the king is David, said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, now go throughout all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and count the people that I may know the number of the people. What's he doing? What's he doing? Now many of you have read this story because you know where I'm going with this. And you've actually thought, what is the deal? Why is it a big deal that David numbered his army? Why does it matter? that? Because judgment follows this in a heavy-duty way on David's life. Why does it matter if David knows how many army fighting men he has? Why does it matter? And it says, now go throughout all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and count the people that I may know the number of the people. And Joab said to the king, why does my lord the king desire this thing? Isn't that an interesting statement from a a loyal follower? Joab will do anything David asks, but he pauses on this. And he says, excuse me, king, if I may ask a question. What? Why do you want to do this? Basically, the inference is, not a good thing, king. Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the army. That means the captains and Joab both paused. And they said, king, you don't want to do this. Now, what's the big deal? Every nation counts its army. Every nation numbers its troops. That's its strength. What's the difference? In Israel, the strength is not in the number of its army. That's the difference. So when David chose to number his armies, he's deliberately making a statement. He's counting his natural strength instead of leaning on the fact that even if he had one soldier and he was it, He can win any battle that God commissions him to fight. Therefore, Joab and the captains of the army went out from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 dunamis. Isn't that an interesting statement? That's where the Greek word is used in the Septuagint. There is 800,000 of the manpower. The, man, the power of the strength of man's arm, there was 800,000. That's a big, that's a big army, by the way. I mean, I would feel pretty secure with that. Men who drew the sword. And the men of Judah were 500,000, and David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. Isn't that just such a strange thing? If you don't understand what that means to number the people, to actually put a confidence in something other than God, because how many of us on a daily basis, are numbering our soldiers. And you're thinking, I don't have any soldiers, so I'm I'm innocent. You have strength of some kind, and oftentimes you are numbering it to see how well you feel you are fit to live out this life. Your confidence does not rest in God's ability, it rests in your competence. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done, but now I pray, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Numbering your armies. How much dunamis do you have to lean on? I want to sort of divide up in in our mental uh, chamber here two different pantries or cupboards. You have, or we could call them war chests, which might be more appropriate in this. But over here, you have you. All that makes you up. 
It's all your relationships, too, because you could always call on this one guy, and you know that he'll come through for you because he owes you. Okay, so you have a pantry over here to get things done. If something needs to be handled, guess what? Some of you know that you can do it. You have a confidence in what's in you, in your pantry, to accomplish life's demands, to tackle life's challenges. You're talented. You have a resource that other people don't have. So when someone is in need financially, where do they have a tendency to come? To you. In other words, you have sufficiency. Okay, now I'm going to introduce you to another cupboard over here. It's called the Lord. Now, if you are strong in your own pantry, did you know that you really struggle going into this pantry? Not because you don't esteem it, because theologically you know that, you know, your strength is in the Lord. Absolutely. However, on a daily basis, moment-by-moment basis, you live in this pantry. And you reason from this pantry. Your confidence in this is in this pantry. If this pantry, like if there was a financial collapse, a lot of people, a lot of Christians in this country are concerned about financial collapse. Why? Because that's where our confidence is in. It's in our bank account. It's in our investments. And so we reason in our life from this pantry. And it's a dead giveaway. We're daily numbering our armies. How stable am I? How strong am I? Should I be at peace right now in my life? Well, it actually has nothing to do with if you should be at peace in your life. This has to do with if you have peace in your life. So numbering your armies, how much dunamis do you have to lean on? How much do you have in the bank right now? I, we're in the process of purchasing the campus. I told you this is my life this week, was walking through this message. And, you know, I, there, there are certain forms that I have to fill out. And I'm thinking, well, this isn't even me that's buying the campus. It's an organization, but guess who has to fill out personal financial information? How much money do you have in the bank right now, Eric? And I felt really weak even writing in a number. It's like, that's pathetic. It makes me look bad on paper. My, all in all, if you were to just take any of us and stick us out on paper, it's just like, ah, I don't want to be stuck out on paper. How much do you have in the bank? How much do you have in investments? How much do you have in earthly knowledge, credentials, certifications, medals, achievements, accomplishments, degrees, and honors? What I'm going through is a list that the world will ask you. This is how they certify you. This is when they applaud you. If your answer is, eh, 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 to each one, guess what? Next. They don't have time for you. However, they will put you in position if you can say yes to the following questions. If you have big numbers to supply, we have a tendency to rest the same way the world does on these earthly things. How much do you have in your career? Where's your confidence? In my career, my degree. You see, I have this job, and it has a lot of job security. Even in a downturn in the economy, I mean, it's the perfect job to have. Whoa, 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 what? Did you just hear what you said? You see, you have a tendency, it might be true even, but you have a tendency to find your confidence and your strength, your dunamis, in something other than the Lord. How much do you have in talents and abilities? Have you ever had it where people are, you are a very talented guy. Thank you. And you have a tendency to move into that and find confidence in it. I remember someone telling me, Eric, I just love to watch you in uh, communication because the harder it gets and the more awkward the situation is, you seem to be a master 
of taking every situation verbally and turning it into something where everyone's happy. And so I could, it's like, you know what? That's pretty good. And then the next time I'm in a challenging situation, what do I do? I don't do the conversation in the Lord because I need him. I'm like, you know, I have a natural ability for this. And I have a tendency then to actually do my communicating in Eric as opposed to in the Lord. Uh, how much do you have in willpower and determination? Are you a hard worker? A guy that if you ever get down, you get back up? You could easily walk into that and go, you know what? Nothing will get me down because I'll always get back up. How much do you have in physical strength, immune system, endurance, power, and bodily might? You're just sort of a healthy guy. And as a result, you rest in that. Yeah, I don't really get sick like the other people do in this generation. I'm just healthy. How much do you have in your medicine cabinet? You know what? There's other nations that don't have the medicine cabinet you have. You have a lot of confidence in that medicine cabinet. As long as certain things are in there, you can relax. You have confidence. How much do you have in your pantry? You see, you're stocked full. You have three months' worth of food. In fact, when Y2K came along, you might have had 10 months of food in there. In other words, you have something to back you up. How much do you have in your goodness, your moral fiber, your ability to say no to temptation, and or your very own personal rightness with the law of God? In other words, you know what? You're doing pretty good. Other people, they're stumbling, but you've been walking pretty straight. And so as a result, you can begin to put your confidence in your own righteousness, even though when you came to Christ, you said, I have none. But now you're starting to build an account of saying, you know what? That was a good decision. Wow, thank you, God. You've really done a great work in me. You know what? I think I've got this now. And now you begin to put confidence and stock in you instead of in the work of Jesus. How much do you have in your knowledge of the scriptures, your understanding of sound doctrine, your agreement with the truth? See, you could have all the truth, and you could know all the truth, and the fact that you know the truth is your confidence, instead of the fact that you know him. And so as a result, there's a subtle bait for us to enter into us, and a confidence in our ability, and our own dunamis, to live this life. And you're wondering why you're failing during the tests of life, even though you know the truth. How can I keep failing? Because you're still relying on your spear, on your sword, on your shield. The law is a schoolmaster. One of the things we can thank the Old Testament for is it doesn't just reveal Jesus Christ. It reveals our problem and our need for Jesus Christ. There's nothing quite like the law to get us honest. And to bring us down to brass tacks to say, Eric, you can't do this. See, that's what the old covenant brings us to. Some people still want to go back to the old covenant and say, no, no, this is the way we're supposed to live. No, the way we're supposed to live is in Christ. Living in the law and in your own good works will not satisfy God and will not ever bring you truly into that heavenly realm. You must forsake that. The law is a schoolmaster, it says. To do what? To lead us to Jesus Christ. You have a need of a true Savior. You need dunamis, guys. Heavenly, divine dunamis. This stuff will not accomplish it. It teaches us that every other army is insufficient for winning the battle we must fight. Learning to number his dunamis. You see, math in the kingdom of heaven 
isn't actually that complicated. To send Joab and your captains out to number the armies, that's a lot of counting. 800,000 in Israel, 500,000 in Judah. I mean, this is like, that's a ton of counting. All we need is to be able to go, one. I'm satisfied. We number our army in Jesus Christ. He did it. He is victorious. He defeated the enemy. He broke the back of sin and the power of it in my life. He is my army. I rest confidently in him. One, number that army. So instead of numbering all that's in your pantry, trying to figure out if you have credibility, if you have significance in this earth, number him. One, you're sufficient for me, God, and you can do it. Introducing the Lord of hosts, otherwise known as the Lord of dunamis. You see, the one who has it, always has, has it now, and always will be the supplier of that which we need, is this exact one. His name is Jesus Christ. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. So this is Jesus speaking. Before he leaves, so he's about to ascend, and before he leaves, he's giving those final instructions. I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem. Wait in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with dunamis from on high. You see, you don't need the dunamis of this earth. If you try and go out and fulfill my commission, without this, you will fail. Remember Peter? I will die for you, Jesus. And then what does he do? He denies him three times. And Peter say, or Jesus says to Peter, you need something, don't you? So wait here until you get it. If you don't have this stuff, you can't do it. But you shall receive. Now, this is the very beginning of Acts. But you shall receive dunamis when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. You shall receive the strength of the army of heaven when the Holy Spirit moves in. When that happens, you will be witnesses. The witness to the world is this in you. When this enters into you and that strength of an army begins to be marshaled into position and marches in your life, it is a witness unto all the earth. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by dunamis. So what's interesting here, we're going to progress through the book of Acts. We see that Jesus is saying, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will have dunamis. And what you see is that Jesus' ministry itself was marked by this. And this is what testified of him as the Messiah. A man approved of God among you by dunamis and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Acts 3. And when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, You men of Israel, why marvel you at this? Or why look you so earnestly on us as though by our own dunamis or holiness we had made this man to walk? This man had been 40 years sitting outside the gate beautiful. Peter says, In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And Peter's like all shocked. Why do you guys think I did this? Do you think I actually could do this out of my own pantry? you got to be crazy. You know what this is? It's not my dunamis. It's his dunamis. 
The living God has come. He's dwelling inside of men and exerting this strength in this earth. And with great dunamis, this is Acts 4, gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. What marks the church in the book of Acts? We have some great dunamis at work. We have a body that is filled, that is enabled to do. The army of heaven has come. And Stephen, full of faith and dunamis, did great wonders and miracles among the people. So let's look at just a quick summary here. Jesus says, I'm going to give you strength. I'm going to give you the power to do it. I will not leave you, but will send you precisely what you need in order to get her done. <laughs> Paul says, be a church that acts. Be a church that does. Be a church that performs, for this empowered action is your witness unto this lost and dying world. But don't do this in your own dunamis, but rather do it in the capital D dunamis that God has already supplied. So what is Paul always saying? Hey, guys, what started in the spirit, don't continue in the flesh. Don't go back to your own dunamis. You rest in the big capital D dunamis that came down from heaven that would literally float out of the side of Jesus at that cross. He's given you everything you need. You rest in that. The great power outage. So we all live in the same generation, and we're all in America right now, and we notice that something has gone awry in the church. You look at the book of Acts, and you see this dunamis. And so if all of you were to fill in the gaps between the early church and 2,000 years right now, what would we expect? We'd expect the church to look a lot different. I mean, either this dunamis doesn't exist anymore, or we've done something wrong in the process. We've lost something. So I just want to introduce you to a scripture here. 2 Timothy 3, 5 says, having a form of godliness. This is speaking of what happens literally when a nation or a generation begins to go reprobate and turn away from God. One of the conclusions that we begin to see is they have a form of godliness. There is a form. That's why we don't want just a form of church. There's a form of godliness. Well, that's godly. That's the way it should be. And it looks, it smells, you know, even correct on the outside. But what's wrong with it? But denying the dunamis thereof, the dunamis that makes that body work, they deny it. Say, oh, yeah, we don't need that. We have our own. From such, turn away. Remember Paul's command. Be strong, be strong, be strong. How are we to be strong? That would be a very good question. In other words, you are commissioned to be strong. So what are you doing? Digging in your own pockets, trying to muster up the gumption to be strong the way Paul is commissioning you to? So look at the, the scriptures that say be strong. It says 1 Corinthians 16, 13, Paul tells the church at Corinth, stand firmly in the faith, be strong. Don't stand in your own pantry. Don't stand in the faith of you. Faith in him. Now be strong. In other words, it is a result of being in Christ. What's your position? When you are in Christ, it makes sense for someone to command you, okay, now be strong. Walk strongly there. Wield the dunamis. Ephesians 6.10, Paul tells the church at Ephesus, be strong, not in your own pantry, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
Not your might, not your education, not your pantry strength, in his strength. That's how a Christian functions. 2 Timothy 2.1, Paul tells Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So that's the context for his exhortation, his command to be strong. Strength is not found in our pockets, but his. Our own army will fail us, but his army, his dunamis, cannot do anything but succeed. Quick review, dunamis, it's a noun. It's power to do it, strength to perform it, ability to accomplish it. This is what we are needing as the church of Jesus Christ. I know in many of you there's an ache. You want to live this life out right. You don't want to just esteem it. You don't want to just memorize scripture. You'd rather live it. I mean, just where it comes out of you, where the world has changed because of your life. So I'm going to introduce you to another word that flows out of this. So dunamis is the noun. But how you get that noun, this is the action, dunamao. And it means to be strengthened, empowered, and enabled. We ask that you be, may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. I mean, this is exactly what's weighing down on many of us. Listen to it. That you, that you may walk worthy of the Lord. Oh, I just don't feel like I can do that. Fully pleasing him. Are you fully pleasing him? That's a weight to many of us. It's almost like a voice of condemnation in our life because you know you're not fully pleasing him being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And then it says, dunamao, strengthened with all dunamis. This is the context. That you would live this life. What do you need? Well, you're going to need dunamao. You need to be strengthened with what? With all his capital D, dunamis. According to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. So this is the word I actually wanted to rest on. You know, and ironically, you know what this translates into in the New Testament? Be strong. I could have named this message endunamao, but that wouldn't have made any sense. So we've had to sort of build a case to get you to this point to recognize that when Paul is saying, be strong, he's actually saying, endumao, and, and, sorry, endunamao. That's a really hard word to say, by the way. And it's a verb. Listen to this. To receive the enablement, to receive the strength, to be empowered to do it. So Paul says, be empowered, guys. And you're like, how? In Christ. By faith, enter into him. Re reject your own pantry. Forsake it. Consider it dung if necessary. And enter into his strength. Endunamao. So now I'm going to invent a word just for our English communication because a verb needs to have a little zest to it. It needs to move. So we're going to call this, in a past tense sense, endunamaod. Okay. So, in other words, what we have had happen is we've been endunamaod. We have been given that which will change us. We have been strengthened by the gift of grace, the Holy Spirit. You see, you have the upper room, and for the first time, we have the endunamao, when the room is shaken. And 
We have the great movement of grace, which literally leads the apostles into the streets of Jerusalem to preach, and 3,000 come into the church that day. They were in dunamaod. Jesus says, wait for the dunamis. And then they received the dunamis, which is in dunamato, in dunamatod. Boy, sorry, guys. Just be gracious with me as I work with these odd words. But Saul, speaking of the apostle Paul, was in dunamaod, and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. What was Paul's secret? He was given the strength of heaven. That's why he confounded the Jews. You see, Paul didn't just have wit and wisdom. He didn't just have brilliance and knowledge. He had dunamis. Romans 4, he staggered not. Who staggered not? Abraham. At the promise of God through unbelief, but was endunamaod in faith, giving glory to God. He was strengthened, how? In faith, the same way you are. How are you going to gain this strength? In Christ. Finally, my brethren, be endunamonod in the Lord and in the power of his might. This is a final exhortation to the book of Eph- to the church at Ephesus. Hey guys, you need this dunamis, but you need to find it in the Lord. Get in the Lord and be strengthened. This is where the strength comes from. I can do all things through Christ, which endunamaod, boy, I need to get my word down here, endunamaod me. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has endunamaod me, put, for he, that, he, that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. So Paul once again saying he has been endunamaod by Christ. Thou therefore, my son, be endunamaod in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. That translated as be strong. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and endunamaod. Boy, sorry, guys. How about we just say that? (laughs) Me, that by me the preaching might be fully known. You see, Paul, that the preaching might be fully known, needed something. What was it? It was dunamis. And that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. We all need to be in dunamaod. We all need it. This isn't a special thing. This is a Christian thing. If you are living a life that is lackluster, that lacks the fruits of Jesus Christ, that lacks the power to perform it, to accomplish what you know to do, it's very likely that you're gravitating towards your own strength. And even as I'm talking and I raise a high standard, you have a tendency to look inside of your life and say, oh, I haven't accomplished that. I really haven't done this. I really blew it last week on this. You see, that isn't going to get you anywhere. What you do is you forsake this. And you say, this is not my salvation. This is not how I get it done. So I'm going to repent of this, and I'm going to enter into Christ by faith. You know what? He is perfect. He is pure. And he gives me the power to do it. And so this is how I live. I reason out of this room in Christ. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with dunamis from on high. Every single one of us, this is the lesson we learn. Now here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say that that dunamis from on high has already come. But every single one of us takes a lesson from Luke 24, 49, and we say, but I still can't go on until I have it. In other words, it's given, 
but you need to receive it. And that is the concept of endunamaod. You need to be strong. The commission is receive the strength. Receive the strength in Christ. So I could say, what's your position? Receive the strength in Christ. You could be in Christ and you could have the sword, but that doesn't mean you're swinging it. So Paul says, be strong. Be strong. In other words, receive it. Apply it to your life. Walk knowing that he has the strength of an army. When Hezekiah stands and he says, guys, be strong. Greater is the army with us than that which is with the Assyrians. Whoa, that's the way you live your life. When your bank account is low, Christ, I find my strength in you, not in my own bank account. I do not measure my ability to accomplish the errands I've been commissioned to in this life by what's in my bank account right now, but what's in yours. That's where I find my strength, and you have unlimited resources. So I walk in faith knowing I am in dunamod with your grace to appropriate it to every situation I could ever face. Go no further until you are endued, or endumaod. You see, endued and endumaod sound like the same word, don't they? Like you would actually think etymologically, sorry to use a big word, that the word endued came from to receive the strength of dunamis. I know, I studied it, I was like, okay, this has to be the, the origin of the word endued. And supposedly it's not. I'm still holding out uh, for that one uh, genius of words that says, and it's obvious in the Greek that that would be the case. However, you know what endued means? To be clothed in, which fits very well with everything we're saying. We have a pantry. We need to enter into it. And so until you are in the dunamis, until you are in his army strength, don't go out to battle. Don't try and herald the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ in this generation. You will be eaten for lunch. Don't try and tackle the powers of lust. Don't try and take on pride in your own pantry strength. You want to bring these guys down? Do it in the army of Christ who has already defeated them. Greater is he who is with us, and he's one then all the factions of this earth, all the armies of this earth that would rally together to try and defy the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in dunamis. This is how the kingdom of heaven functions. It's not just you speaking good words. It's you living the life. It's in the power of God that it is demonstrated. To be in dumaod, you must first forsake your own dunamis. This is where it gets a little sticky for us because many of us have a pantry and we appreciate our pantry and we're actually proud of our pantry. I mean, I've worked hard for this pantry. It does not mean that your knowledge, for instance, of physics is some detriment to, your, to the kingdom of heaven. It is if you put your confidence in it. In other words, if you are resting in that and finding your strength not in the Lord, but in your knowledge and your degree of physics, you will find that you will hollow out your ability to perform the Christian life. And so what you need to do is let go of your own dunamis. You could write a list. If, if What I should have done is started with a list and I said, I want you to brag to me. I want you to tell me everything that you can do and that you're good at and that you've been patted on the back for in your life. That would have been a great way to start this message. And you write it down and then I would say, okay, now read that list over again. Now I want you to give that up. What's left in your life? 
If you were to give that stuff up, what are you? You'd be like, I'm nothing. As a Christian, we forsake this, not because God can't still use it, okay? This is like this principle of Isaac. It cannot rule us. God doesn't mind you having money in your bank account. He just wants to make sure that that money doesn't rule you. So he might ask for that money in the bank account until it's all dry. Until you come to the place where your confidence is no longer in money, cash systems of this earth, but your confidence is in his system of economics in heaven. And you know that it's a higher system of economics. You see, the kingdom of heaven is a different form of cash, if you will. It's called grace. And so God's grace is sort of like gold bullion. If, if I handed you some gold, like a, a little chunk of gold, and you tried to go down to the local 7-Eleven and you know, buy some gas, it'd be a little awkward, right? Because it's a different currency. It actually has more value than your $10 bill. But, and that's the way we are, we have access to all the inheritance, all the gold bullion of heaven, all the grace for life and godliness. But we need to rest here and say, God, could you convert that grace and pay off that debt? I need you to take of your economy, your strength, and convert it into my real world. And instead of me trying to solve this, I'm going to come to you. And I'm going to say, God, I need to call on my account. I know you have what I need. You've given it to me in the person of Jesus Christ. Therefore, I'm going to make a transfer from my account in the throne room of grace to my situation of weakness here in this earth. And I trust that you can cover it. My strength is no longer in this. Though at times I may have money. Though at times people may be impressed with my natural ability. I must not rest in that. I rest in Christ. And that is my satisfaction and that is my great secret to success. So speaking of the champions of faith in Hebrews 11, we see an interesting flow. Now I'm going to go to the middle of it. It's, you know, quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword. It's going through the list of what amazing things these men and women of faith did. But look at this. Out of weakness were endunamaod. That's their strength, is out of weakness. They forsook all natural strength. And out of weakness, they received their strength. What you're going to notice in the kingdom of heaven is this is the principle of how it works. You want to be strong with the dunamis of heaven? You have to give up the dunamis of this earth in order to get it. You approach Goliath not in your own strength, but with the humble artillery of a shepherd in the weaponry of faith. That's how you win your battles. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That means in weakened vessels of this earth. That the excellency of the dunamis may be of God and not of us. I have accepted the fact that as a Christian, I will face greater trials than the world outside. I know it. It's a harder way. And yet, in the midst of this, my earthen vesselness will be exposed God will purposely take me by the hand and walk me through that. Eric, will you transfer your faith in you and your ability to me? Yes, I will. And weakness will come into my life that I could look down the road and go, how come they don't have to go through that? Why do they have it easy? Well, I've had that thought many times in my life. It's a bad way of living, by the way. Instead of saying, thank you, God, for that weakness. Thank you, because what does it do? I have no choice but to step over here. Have you ever noticed that weakness is a wonderful tutor? When you have nothing in the bank, it's pretty hard to lean on your cash. 
When you have nothing, it's very easy to turn to the right place to find the substance. Thank you, God, for tutoring us in the kingdom of heaven. So instead of complaining today, I want you to enter into Christ where your strength truly lies. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you. My gold bullion will work in this earth, Eric. For my dunamis is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my weakness, in my infirmities, that the dunamis of Christ may rest upon me. Are we willing to become weak? Are we willing to forsake the strength of this earth, that which everyone around us finds confidence in, so that we would find our confidence in Christ alone? That does not mean God wants us to forsake wisdom. It means this is a higher wisdom. It's a higher wisdom to make yourself vulnerable to the Spirit of God, to be groomed and trained to live in Christ. For though he was crucified through weakness, you'll notice the word weakness is just all over the place, yet he lives by the dunamis of God, speaking of Jesus Christ. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the dunamis of God towards you. This dunamis that actually works is found in one singular place. You cannot find it any other location. This divine dunamis that enables you to live the life the way that God intended and created you to live is found in one singular place, and it's called Jesus Christ. So here's our quick battle plan for the day. Repent. To turn from that which you have been putting your confidence in. I have had quite a few things in my life this week that if you had asked me last week if I put confidence in them, I would have said, no, my confidence is in Christ. And yet, after this week, I would say, you know what? I think I still had a vestige, a remaining amount of confidence in certain things. And, and they could have been plans or even promises, things I thought God was doing. And I put my confidence in that instead of him. And as a result, I can feel shaken. And God, I recognize I put faith in something that wasn't you. I repent of that. And I freshly exert my soul to say, I believe in you. And that's what believe is. So you repent of putting confidence in any other form of salvation, anything else that could hold you up. And you say, God, I believe that you are the one that holds me up in every circumstance, in every situation, in all things, you are sufficient. And then when you believe, you need to receive. And so here's my transactions of the week. I've had an extraordinary week that I can't really go into any details. You're just gonna have to trust me, I've lived this this week. But I've recognized that as I enter into Christ afresh and I say, God, you have the supply. I'm going to find my strength in your might. So I'm sort of looking at his might as like a bank account. And it's endless and he's given me a checkbook. It's called prayer. He says, Eric, what do you do? If you know you have the supply to meet every earthly demand, what are you going to do? Okay, well, I'm not going to look to my own wisdom to do it. I'm not going to look to my own ability. I'm going to look to you. God, I'd like to write a check on my account. Uh, of, of your might and of your strength and your grace, and I'd like to apply it to this situation. I tell you what, this week was such an object lesson of trust for me, and I saw God move in such a mighty way. To me, it would be the equivalent of a Red Sea parting. It's like, okay, God, point taken. You 
can satisfy. You are the one that can do it. So we need to receive that. In our Ellerslie training semester, we'll oftentimes call it reckon. You need to reckon that that resource is actually available to you and then use it. Don't just believe that it's there. It's like, oh yeah, and I have all things in Christ, praise God. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Well, okay, now you have a situation where you need strength. Do you have the strength or not? I do have it. Exercise it. Believe. Use it. Wield it in this exact situation. Go to God, take it, and apply it. Now you need to remain. How many of us have come in here and we've received the dunamis and then we've gravitated back to our own sustenance and we're freshly being reminded, ah, repent, believe, receive, and let's just remain here. As a church, I don't want to be a church that can brag about our ability. I want to be a church that brags about his ability. Now, unto him that is able to do. Who's able to do? Uh, him. Unto him who is able to do, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the dunamis that works in us. Uh, you know what? I think this is an important concept. Whereunto I also labor, says Paul, striving according to his working. Who's working? God's working, which works in us with dunamis. Isn't that an amazing thought? How does his working work on this earth? It works in us, how? With dunamis. You see, you don't want to go into this world and try and live out the Christian life without this. This is elementary school Christianity. Wait until you get it. Hey, oh, don't move forward. Let's start with first things first. It's been given, the strength is there. Do you believe that Jesus Christ has done it for you? Do you believe you can save yourself? I can't save myself. Do you believe he can save you? Do you believe his work on the cross is sufficient? I do. That's called faith in Christ. And when you believe in Christ, you enter into him. So you're in Christ. Now you're in Christ. And he says, everything you need for living this life on this earth, I've made available to you. But you need to receive it. You need my Holy Spirit to live in you. Would you receive that? I will. Now live in this place. Don't gravitate back to the strength of your sword, to the strength of your knowledge, your education, your bank account, your inheritance. But you live your life out of his. Be strong. It's a commission. Command. But ironically, in those words, in the English language, we don't see the true meaning of them. You see, what it means is receive the strength that has been given you in Christ. Receive that strength. Receive his power. Receive it. Don't let it just go to rot on the side of the road. Take it. Use it. Wield it. You have everything you need for this life. So wield it. Be strong. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of of his might. I walked three hours one day this week. Three hours. Three miles. I just happen to know how long a mile is in my life. Three miles. And all I did was go over this scripture. Every word of it. I was going over and unpacking. And I tell you what, this one scripture changed my life. 
It's funny. I know everything about this scripture. I, I, you know, I've said this scripture who knows how many times in my life, and then suddenly it's like I see it. Eric, you don't just preach being strong in the Lord. I'm asking you to be strong right now in me. You see, most of us would feel strong. If we had a million dollars in the bank account right now, guess what? We'd be happy. We'd, we'd want to treat people to a meal, a drink, anything. We're just ready to dance because we feel strong in our finances. And God was very clear with me to say, Eric, you want that? You want that? I'd really like that right about now. All right, you've got it in me. Serve up the drinks. Start passing around the food. I'm in Christ. I have everything I need to give life to this world. Everything. I have not been shortchanged. Don't listen to the lie of the devil. Oh, you don't have enough. You don't have what you need to be able to accomplish this. I have everything I need to accomplish this. I'm in Christ. I have it. I want you to begin to write checks off of that reality today. You know the places of weakness in your life. You know the places of dearth and death, the places where the enemy has robbed you. I don't want you to try and muster up the willpower to change those things. With your own wit, ingenuity, wisdom, I want you to go into Christ and say, God, you have it. I'm going to write a check, and I'd like to transfer this grace to that situation. So go ahead and write your very first check. Think about it. Isn't that an exciting thought? To begin to take from what is in Christ and apply it to your earthly situations instead of going to your own pockets and solving your earthly situations. Let's do this right. Father, only you can build us into Christians. Only you can build us into ones that showcase the glory of heaven on earth. And I pray that you would do exactly that. We ask for your dunamis. We ask for that power to infill us as a body. Please, Lord Jesus, do this thing. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Ludy, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.